Hey everyone, it's uh, it's David once again. We're here with another Holiday Chat 2019, and this time I've got Eric on the line. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm I'm doing awesome. We finally got a little bit of snow on the ground. Hopefully, it sticks around for Christmas. Makes the kids happy. <laughs> it makes all the pictures makes all the pictures look like Christmas. <laughs> you're you're down right. south. You never get snow anyway, do you? Yeah, we barely see it. So we have what, to drive somewhere for it. Why, why don't you fill us in? Um, you have an interest in buying a business, but you're currently an employee somewhere. And you had some thoughts about the business you worked in and wanted to get a little bit of direction for me on, on things you might want to consider. So why don't you fill us in with the background? So um, my background is in manufacturing, uh, sheet metal manufacturing specifically. Okay. I, I started out in high school. Uh, through the work program at a company and that company is now the company I work for again, but they have um, been bought out by a capital uh, investment firm and uh, because of their struggles that they were having and and I, that was an opportunity that I saw to get in there and maybe make a difference. Um, but when I got hired in, uh, realized that the management really wasn't um, up to par on uh, the business, the industry, even they seem very new into the manufacturing industry as far as sheet metal. Mm -hmm. And so it was difficult to uh, communicate the thoughts and stuff with uh, anybody that was above the level of not being able to make any decisions. So give me an idea of how big this, uh, this business is like how many people would be working there? Wow. Well, that's the sad thing is, is when we started there or when I started there, uh, it was 250 employees. Wow. Um, doing over 25 million a year. And, um, since then, gratefully, we haven't dropped as much, uh, dollar wise. So I think we're down to about 20 million, but we've cut the workforce in almost half, which does say a lot, but, um, I don't know if that really has been a benefit. So when, when you say the management doesn't seem to be capable, is it the people that have become the managers since the company was bought? Well, that's interesting too, because uh, they did bring back a guy that was there prior to. And so he has been doing the work to turn the business around. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, for me, I, you know, it's, it's a, a good thing to see him, you know, basically when I started there, it was like nobody was beating the drum even. All the workers were just kind of like, what are we doing, you know? And mm -hmm. so when he came back, he started beating the drum and getting people to actually um, focus on what they needed to do and making some, some significant advances in that aspect. Um, as most people know in the business, uh, you know, it's about doing the right thing with the right people. And he just doesn't seem to understand that as well as I see, mm. you know, obviously that's, can be an opinion sometimes, but what, what kind of, what, what is your role right now? I'm, I'm in the estimating department. So okay. um, I just put dollars to the stuff. And that's been a struggle in and of itself because uh, my previous employer, 
um, I would continually have struggles to um, hit dollar amounts. And I found out that it was this company that was undercutting us. And so it's been a struggle to convince them to almost double their pricing. But um, as they've been working, because I've been there for almost three years now, and as we've been struggling to convince uh, internally people to go up on the price, we've had no struggles with the customers. And actually, the, the investment firm saw that. And, and with the other companies that they had, you know, basically sister companies in the same industry, they went up 30% on their pricing and saw very little to almost none of the customers leave. So that was a big step for me in the aspect of just convincing them that they're way too cheap. And if you know the market, everybody else is struggling to try to keep up with the cheap guy. And I'm sure that made a big difference in our industry. Right. So, so they, they basically had an opportunity to be making a lot more money than they have been. And they're almost afraid to, to try to become more profitable. The fear, and, and the sad thing is, is just industry alone, sometimes uh, you lose things to different markets like uh, Mexico or China. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of those happened to them while they, you know, while they were trying to transition. And I do believe, I mean, I couldn't get a straight up confirmation, but I think they were just trying to flip the business, you know, lean it out and then sell it and it didn't happen. And, and while they were doing that, they lost some large clients. And so they had to make big cuts to, um, support that loss, which of course drives morale down and everything like that. So, so how, how does this all play out for you and your plan though? Because you, I mean, calling in, watching my YouTube videos and stuff, you obviously have an interest in, in getting into your own business someday. Correct. Um, so what I wanted to do was I wanted to, um, work with the, um, investment firm to position me in a place to make, um, great increases by, uh, fixing inefficiencies, um, training better, utilizing some of the very, um, antiquated, um, op- operations and stuff to, become more, um, uh, what's the, you know, more of a advanced, uh, knowledge. And, um, I was, I was talking to them and they weren't taking me serious though, but because I don't have the capital backing and I didn't really know how to find it, mm-hmm. but, um, basically to show them a year's worth of improvements and then, uh, try to take over the business in that aspect you know, hoping that at the beginning we would have the banks come in and look at the numbers and then see what so, improvements I've made. Are you talking about the business you're working in right now, or this was your idea <clears throat> to go after another business that you would, you would improve and, and you would get them to help you by providing the money to buy the business? This business. Okay. I was, I was so, just hoping to be able to drum up the, the support by showing the improvements that I could do Okay. So, so you wanted to, you basically, you wanted promotion. You wanted to to go further up the ladder to be in a a position where you would have more decision-making authority 
Um, and, and they just didn't, they didn't select you for that. Correct. Okay. And so, um, have that having happened, you're still in the estimating role. And so now how has your, how have your goals changed? Have you, you kind of saying like, screw you guys, you don't recognize my ability. I'm going to go do something on my own. Is that kind of what your, what your angle um, is now? I'm, I'm not a big fan of screw you guys, but um, <laughs> at the same time uh, I have, um, I have actually looked at other businesses for sale and, and trying to look at um, what, what are the options in my area. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm really interested because a lot of times listening to your stuff, I really like the idea of finding that niche, niche market, the, the company that especially like what I see here in Dallas is that um, people are um, getting to the age of retiring or selling business or some of them, I think they just close them down mm -hmm. and to find that right business and, uh, you know, utilize whatever resources I can to convince them to transition to me as a leader. And then as an owner would be, uh, a huge thing for me because I've worked for five or six companies and, uh, each one of them, as I, uh, come in, have their struggles and uh, while I'm there they grow a large percentage mm. one of our competitors when I started there they actually called me up because a coworker of mine told them about what I did for my my uh, first stint like when I was 19 I started at a company and worked there for seven years and worked my way up and he told them about me and they came and called me up and said, Hey, we heard what you can do. Please come and do it. And after seven years of learning all of the ins and outs of all the struggles and everything, it was real easy to walk in there and go, okay, well here, 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 and this is the problems. And then I just, I literally went in on a weekend and uh, rearranged the way that they scheduled and um, aligned their uh, supervisors. Pardon me. <coughs> And, uh, then the next week, everything started just shipping on time. The money started rolling and then uh, I got bored. So I, I looked at other things and I found in their inventory a million dollars worth of product that was up for contract. The, you know, the contract was due mm -hmm. and they hadn't shipped it. And so I, I, uh, sent the list over to the customer and, and explained the situation and the customer was customer was like, Hey, go ahead and ship that. So that really just springboarded them into growing. And, um, so they, they rented another facility and, and started expanding. And then now they're in a building that they own and they're big in the market. So, and, and I feel like I had a huge part in that. But when I talk to them, they're like, no, nah, you didn't do much, you know? So it's like, wow. <laughs> but again, you know, I was, I was young and hadn't met you yet. <laughs> yeah. So like when you describe the current business that you work in, you know, owned by a private equity group of some kind, you know, 125 employees, it's, it's a very corporate kind of thing, right? 
and the the leadership and ownership that those guys almost certainly their plan is to try to improve the performance so even with a decline in sales if they've cut the the labor cost in half the, the business may be performing better than it used to um, and then they're going to want to sell it again to get some money and <laughs> that that's kind of the game that those guys play i right. think that your talent your management talents and your organizing talents and all that all the stuff that you bring to the table um, in order to leverage that into a deal where you become the owner, you're going to have to find an opportunity where you can work with an individual owner who probably is working in the business where you can come in and create a relationship where they get to know you and they get, and they trust you. And then you will be able to help them with the business and they will, you know, come to be convinced that you're the person who should take it over when they want to get out. And have you seen uh, the video on my YouTube channel, uh, an example of a real no money deal? It was a trucking firm in Alberta. Did you see that video? Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've watched every one of your videos. <laughs> Do you remember but, that one? It, it, basically, a guy started working at the trucking company and he kept asking for more and more jobs and more and more authority. And eventually he became the manager of it. And when the, sell, when the owner wanted to retire, the two of them agreed <clears throat> that the seller would help the buyer buy the business. So they went to the bank, <clears throat> excuse me, and they borrowed as much as they could based on the value of the equipment. And then whatever balance was left, the seller just agreed that he would finance it for the buyer. So it was a real no money deal for the buyer, but it was because they had been together for three years and they knew each other very well. And the, you know, the seller trusted the buyer and knew that he was going to be capable at running the business. And so he was willing to do that for him. And one of the, you know, one of the struggles whenever you're going to buy a business, if you don't have enough capital or resources behind you is the seller can choose to finance it, but they don't like to do that for people they don't know or trust. And so yeah, the relationship is the paramount thing, right? And so I think that you need to look for a business that, that you think you would want to own that is owned by someone who's of the right age, that they don't want to retire imminently, but that you would have a, the ability to work with them for a couple of years. Yeah, and, and that is kind of the, the lineup that, that my my b plan i guess because sure sure was hoping for that a plan but you know i mean and and like i was telling you before we started um we are currently being bought out um i guess you'd call it a merger acquisition because i guess the current owners are going to maintain a, a small percentage of the business mm -hmm. but um my struggle is is there they have this huge um confidentiality patent all this whatever signature stuff and i'm like well uh that just sounds like you want to own me and they literally have it for like six months after a year after you're not supposed to compete and you know in this industry that that's really difficult because you know they're, they're basically saying you would have to get permission to go work for somebody else even if we fired you so I honestly, I would take it to an attorney. Um, and here's why. Uh, and, and, and of course, the rules vary a little bit by state. 
But if you sell a business, okay, um, you can ask the seller of the business to sign a non-compete that, that basically says they can't get into the business. And, and those agreements stand up pretty well. And, and, you know, attorney would be able to give you some, some concrete examples. And I know that in my own experience from dealing with lawyers over the years, there are certain things that have to make sense. Like the, um, the, the area where the person can't compete has to actually relate to the market area of the business that was sold, certain things like that. But what I have been consistently told over the years by different lawyers is that non-competes with rank and file employees, and we're not talking about C-level people, right? If you're, right. if you're the president or the CFO of a big company, then, then you can be held to you know, the terms of a non-compete deal. But if you're a rank and file employee, if you're an everyday guy who does a job and you leave and your skill set is such that really the only place you're ever going to work is in a similar kind of business, then basically what the non-compete is doing is preventing you from earning a livelihood. Yeah, exactly. And so they don't often stand up. You know, it would be like, it would be like someone who's worked all their life in a restaurant and, and then they, they, you know, they quit or whatever, and then they go work in another restaurant. If they can't work in a restaurant, they're going to have a hard time earning a wage because that's, that's what they bring to the table. So um, I know that companies love, some of them love to, to create those kinds of arrangements, but I would take it to an attorney and just get an opinion about just how, how likely it would ever be that they would sue you for breaching that contract and if they would ever be successful at it is oftentimes getting you to sign the thing is just so that they can threaten to sue you, which is scary to try to scare you. Yeah. Yeah. What type of attorney would do that? Well, it would be an employment law attorney. So, so somebody who's advertising on their website that they deal with employment law. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, because the, the current owners, um, why, why they didn't have a confidentiality agreement. And that's completely different because, yeah. you know, they, they send us home with laptops and all the information that is associated with the business pretty much is available to us, especially the client list and things of that nature. And I questioned why, why would you not have something to cover you in that case? which yeah. I appreciated that about the new ownership coming in with the, the confidentiality, but the rest of it's like, you know, if you come up with an idea while you're even employed, I don't care if you're at home in bed asleep, it's ours, which to <laughs> me stagnates the whole growth because, you know, I'm going to say as an employee, well, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, quit working for you and, you know, go somewhere else where I don't have to sign this big old piece of paper. And then, present my idea but you know i mean everybody's got their ways right well exactly and um you know making people sign a bunch of contracts is usually not the way to create an environment where there's sort of you know brainstorming going on and people like sharing ideas and being open and creative. I mean, it sends the wrong message in my mind, but for whatever reason they think they want to do that. Um, so you haven't signed it yet then. Is that what you're saying? No. Well, no. 
they they basically told us go home fill this out but don't sign it and date it because we have to have it done at a specific time so yeah they're waiting for the the merger function right. to to be executed probably so yeah so i would take it to a lawyer and get their opinion on it and see what they say and um you know people like you who are, you know, know um, about business and know how to make a business work better and all that kind of stuff. Um, it would be a really good move for you to become an owner someplace. Right. And I think, you know, that. So the, the in my mind, anyway, the, the question would be, what are you going to do to set yourself upon that direction? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, like I said, I've been, I've I've been looking for the businesses that are actually for sale to just get my feet wet. I'm not really sure what kind of um, networking would do best. Um, You know, everybody frowns down on uh, communication with the competition. And obviously in in a situation like, like this, man, that you'd be walking on some real eggshells being seen with uh, other owners and stuff like that. But so, so let me ask you a few questions. How rooted are you in Dallas? Is this home for you? Like, are you from there originally? Yeah, I've been here all my life. Um, but I'm, I personally don't have as much of an issue, but, uh, my wife is very much, uh, about family and and as far as i can see the majority of her family live here and and we won't be moving anytime soon but right okay but and i'm okay with that it's just you know it it does have its struggles in that aspect but okay there should be plenty plenty of opportunities around it's just a matter of finding the timing and building that relationship prior to Mm. so so businesses that are for sale are not the ones you're looking for correct because those are people that want to sell now you need to be looking for a business that is not for sale, but has an owner who's maybe in his fifties who, who doesn't have a child working in the business. For example, you know, if it, man, is if, that if not the truth? <laughs> if it's obvious that they're, they're, they have a succession plan, you know, in the family, then, then they're not going to sell it to you. Right? right. So, so you want to identify who these people might be. And what's interesting is that, Oftentimes, you know, you have mentioned already in this call about how people you used to work with, that's how, they, that's how you got brought into that one business, right? Through someone you used to work with. Right. In any kind of trade, people are moving from one business to another. And so people know other people in other similar businesses. Maybe they, they're in a bowling league together or something like, and so um, it would be possible for you to find out about some of these other businesses, maybe even through the employee, your colleagues at work. So if you identified a particular business, I mean, you could, you could ask questions like say, Hey, does anyone know if anyone here has ever worked for those guys? And because you're an estimator, you're competing for business. It's very easy for you to say that you're trying to get some information on a competitor because you're, you think you're bidding against them. (laughs) Right. Well, that's a struggle right now. I mean, hopefully this new company 
or new ownership will, I mean, they've said different things, but since I've started at this place, I've asked for feedback and asked, you know, because I said they're the lowest in the market in, in com competition. And, um, I wanted them to understand what the market really yielded and they still haven't made the effort. So I'm hoping that this new ownership will, will bring some light to the situation that I've been pretty much screaming about for two and a half years. Yeah, but, do, you, do you think they're trying to <coughs> stifle competition by being the low, the low cost person? I just, I don't think they really understand. I mean, I, I can't understand why uh, I can walk in there and show them that they can go up 30% and not have issues. And, and then, you know, they argue that until they try it and see that it really works. And then they, they implement it across the board for all their businesses. Does that make sense? You know, so that's the frustrating thing is, is that it's like, Hey, great. You guys got money, you got backing, but what are you doing with it? And, and when somebody gives you a good idea and you just don't follow through or, you know, cause I'm, I mean, I literally had to fight to get them to even just say, okay, we'll go up on this price. I basically took a new order and bumped it up. And they fearfully gave it to the customer and the customer never said anything. They just paid the price. Yeah. And so I did that multiple times with multiple customers and that woke them up to that part, but they still, even with existing customers, they will not go up on their price. It's an interesting phenomenon because I, I most often see this in small businesses where there's an owner who is running the business who. They, they become so frightened of losing a customer that they don't, they don't put in that regular price increase. And, and for most businesses, I mean, if you're dealing with commodities, like things made out of metal, obviously the, the price of metal is going to affect what the price of the product is going to be because you have a big input. But I just in service businesses, I advise a lot of people, you know, inflation goes up every year. Every, the cost of everything goes up every year. You have to be putting in some small amount of price increase every year or else you fall behind and it compounds. So when, when my ex-wife and I bought a trophy shop at one point, the, the woman who sold it hadn't increased her price of engraving for like 10 years. The, the next cheapest place in town was charging 40% more. And you so, found a gold mine. <laughs> well, yeah, but but then you can't just raise the price by forty percent because then you start to wonder: Do we now have all the low price shoppers? Are they our customers? Is that why they're here? Because we because it char we charge less. So what ended up happening is over two years she did four increases to bring to bring the business up to par with the competitor, um, but nobody said anything. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it makes sense to me. And that's exactly what I've seen with other businesses that I've worked at. Uh, you know, one company I worked at, they, they really had their stuff together. And, and I saw that they had files on every job for every customer. Mm -hmm. And they would review that each time they placed a new order. And then once we ran the order through, we would actually do a review of it to make sure that we're, we're hitting our costs 
and where our profit lands so that we maintain a certain amount of profit. And, you know, it would always be a management decision to take less profit, maybe, you know, based on relationship, based on the complexity of the order. There are, you know, many different things, but, but they had a very clear understanding of the business to say, here's our winners, here's our losers. Mm. And so when a new order was placed, if it was a loser, we would bump it, you know, and, and in our industry, I think seven to 10% is, is a, um, a wash. Buyers won't even question it, mm. but, um, you know, and again, it's, in, you, it's it, the it, difference in the customers too, though. Right. Well, people who understand inflation and, and costs that go up because sheet metal in and of itself, um, with all the tariffs increased considerably. And if we don't pass those costs on, we just give away our profits. Right. If there's any profits. Well, and, and the, and the review of the job is a critical thing too, because as an estimator, you're trying to figure out what the profit should be, but right. that, that doesn't always necessarily make mean that the profit was right. Because if, if, uh, more so, right. If you ended up, if you made a mistake in estimating the amount of labor or, or what, whatever it is, then in reality, the, the numbers are going to be different. And without doing the review, how do you get any better at estimating? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess then the, 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 the problem, what you just expressed to me before we started talking about the, about the estimations is the worry about being seen with some, you know, another, a person who's in another business, an owner of one of these other businesses. Is that your primary yeah. concern? Um, I mean, not primary by, by no means. I mean, obviously it would just be the consideration of, um, the new ownership. And, um, I don't know exactly how that would work out because they're going to be flying 30,000 feet above us. Um, after a, a couple of months, probably, you know, they're going to come in and, and do their assessments and then, uh, make some changes that they feel need to be immediate. Mm-hmm. And, and these are just things that I, I've seen because I've been through this before um, and, and seen how they do it. And then after that, you know, it's kind of as long as those numbers keep rising <coughs> or at least hit their, their marks, then they'll stay out of it. But um, so, so then, then it becomes the relationship with the coworkers. If you got anybody who's looking to make themselves look good by snitching on you or something. Well, here's, People here's, basically, the lower levels. here's basically what you need to do is you need to create a, what we call a suspect list, which could be just all the people that are in this industry in the, in the greater Metro area. And then you have to go through those names. You know, maybe come, you take that data from yellow pages website or from uh, trade association membership or something like that. And then you go through each one and you research each company to the best of your ability online. And you try to figure out, you know, are they too big? Or are they too small? You know, and you can learn a lot from company websites and looking at people's LinkedIn profiles and stuff like that. And you'll, you whittle down that list into a prospect list. So it's very much like a business to business sales role kind of thing. 
So then once you have that prospect list, then I would even get in the car and go drive around like on Sunday afternoons or something and drive by the businesses and see what you can glean from how they look from outside. You know, how many vehicles are there? How big is their building? Do they have pieces of equipment that, you know, are obvious from, from looking at the business from the street or something like that? And it can help you further decide it, which ones may fall into your interest or which ones won't. And you'll probably end up with quite a short list by the time you've done all this. And then it's a matter of finding out who the owners are and making contact with those owners to have a private conversation. And, you know, you should be able to do all of this quite secretly. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And, and those conversations that you have, you know, if you reach out to an owner of a company and you say, you say, look, I'm, I'm looking for an opportunity where I can join a team, work myself into a management position where I get some authority and one day become the buyer. There's, and there's no problem with expressing that plan to a business owner because what you are doing is you're actually selling, you're selling an exit solution. Correct. And, and that business owner, if he knows one day he's going to have to sell his business, then he's faced with the problem of who am I going to sell it to? And do I have to look for a stranger who's going to buy it? That, that's what's happened to the ones that are up for sale right now online is, is they didn't have a solution in place. And so now they've ended up hiring a broker or maybe not, and they're advertising it for sale online. And the problem with that is then it leaves it up to the marketplace to, to figure out if there is a qualified buyer, you know, and what are they willing to pay? And a, a business owner could end up playing around trying to sell the business for a long time. Like I, I had some clients who I worked with for three years before I sold their business. And so if you're creating an opportunity where they can develop you as a buyer within the business, then they'll already have their exit strategy in place and all the other things fall into line more easily. So in the example I gave you there at the beginning with the trucking company, the, the bank was willing to lend them more against the equipment than they would lend me, for instance. I don't know anything about trucking. I mean, I know a little bit about those businesses, but I've never run a trucking business. So a bank would look at my resume and say, here's a guy who, who doesn't know a whole lot, but he's going to buy this trucking business. They might lend me quite a bit less than a guy who is already in the business running it. And that's the position you would be in because you would be in this business with experience running this very business so that when you and the seller go to the bank together to work out some kind of financing plan for the acquisition, the, the bankers are going to be much more happy to talk to you and do a deal because it, the, the risk will be reduced because the question of whether you know how to run the business will be, will be known. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the, one of the struggles at, at that point, obviously getting over the hump of finding a place is giving the owner enough, but not enough to take away the, the larger profits that could be turned. Cause that was the thing with the current business. You know, I, I basically told them, look, I can help you get on track 
for, you know, paying down your debt because they're largely in debt, mm-hmm. but, um, get you a better position in the market. And then in return, you sell the company for fair at that point, but I'm going to springboard into a larger one. And of course they were like, well, if you can get us to the higher one, why not just give us, get us there? You know, well, duh, but well, and this, then they passed on the, on the leadership position too. So, yeah, well, I mean, th- th- this is where your, your negotiation comes into play because if you, if you're going to, you know, approach one of these owners and say, I have the ability to improve your business in these different ways, then what you could work out for yourself is you could say, look, here's what I want is I want an agreement that says if I hit certain milestones with the business, I want to be compensated with shares in the company. Like you, you can start acquiring the business through, through the, the yeah. you know, benefits yeah. you deliver. Right. And so that this is often how these deals get done. Yeah. And, that, and that's basically, you know, listening to all of your videos and everything, that's basically how I tried to present it to these guys. They just didn't bite. And, you know, I mean, I think what the choice that they're making is probably, uh, yeah, not as good of a deal as as could have been. I mean, I don't know what their their deal is becoming, but my you know, my take is they they burned themselves and lost a lot of money because, like I said, they they cut the business so much. Right. Well, I mean, these guys are corporate type owners. It's there's not one individual who is the owner. And this is why you have to you have to look at a smaller company because when there is one individual who is the owner and you tell them that you can help grow the business by a certain percentage, well, that's going to be money right into their own pocket, right? The the people yeah. you were dealing with, whatever growth happens in that business, the beneficiary is going to be the investors in the private equity fund, not one of those guys you were talking to, <laughs> right? So so so. And this is this is the strange thing that happens with big companies, is that <laughs> you can propose things that will help the company, and and you believe that the managers that you're talking to have an interest in improving the company. They're supposed to. That's what the shareholders want. But the reality is that they often are just listening to WIIFM radio. What's in it for me, right? And so. Yeah. Their, their interest is in how we can do things. <laughs> Let me give you a great example. Um, I once read an article in Fortune magazine and it was ba- basically, it was half tongue in cheek and it was how CEOs can convince their boards of directors to approve private aircraft. And, and it was saying like make an investment in Alaska and then take the board there but buy them tickets in coach. <laughs> right. And, and right. You know, by the time they're done flying four hours to get to this thing you bought, then they're going to approve the acquisition of a private aircraft for the company. It, but, but it sheds a light on, on, you know, intelligent selling the, the motivations. Right. So, yeah. so when I worked for American express, my job was to make revolving credit programs available to companies. And so I could have an impact on the amount uh, on the amount of payables outstanding a company had. So I could help grow operating capital. 
And so when I would meet with, you know, a CFO of a bigger company, I would say, you know, I can help the business do this. And they might nod their head, but that wouldn't mean that they were interested in signing the contract. And so what I learned that I had to do is I had to say to the person, what are your goals this year? What metrics do you get measured by? Is it one of your goals to increase the days payable outstanding to positively impact operating capital and reduce your overall cost of capital? And, and if they said, yes, it is one of my goals to do that this year, you know, tied to my bonus plan or something, I would say, great, I can help you with that. That guy would sign the contract. Right. Because in both cases, I could help the company, but in the case where it was of personal benefit to him, he all of a sudden was motivated to do it. And so, you know, that's what makes it so different when you're talking to the owner of a business. So when I was with Amex and I was talking to slightly smaller businesses, I didn't even talk about operating capital. I just said, I'm going to analyze who you buy from. And if I can find enough suppliers and, and set you up on a program, I'll set you up with a points program and you'll have so many points. You'll be going on vacation every month. And, and there was no question that the owner of the business, you know, was trying to maximize whatever benefit he wanted. And often it would be in line with what was good for the company. Right. But when you're talking to a manager, it's not always the case. Right. It's good stuff, man. Good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I think you should undertake this, this, uh, journey and you should, you should, you know, try to get a list of names of businesses that you, that might suit you and go have some conversations. So uh, when I wrote you, um, one of the, one of the experiences that I had and boy, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Um, but, uh, a buddy of mine had a business that he was uh, struggling very seriously and, um, it was in a different industry altogether. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think that was when I really, uh, got a taste for running a business because he basically was, uh, hands off, you know, he came into the office, but he kind of just hung out and played with his technology all day. But, um, I, I took that under my wing and really just blew it out of the park. And some of the simple things that I did was just took his customer list and sent out a a blanket email to each one of them saying, you know, Hey, we, we are open for business. We, we really desire to have an opportunity to show you um, how we've improved. (laughs) We didn't change anything. And, uh, and man, we just got, phone calls and emails out, the, out like crazy. And then mm. we just won the business and, um, you know, it was, it was just a, an eye opener for me just to see some of the stuff that, and even in a different industry, how I could take on those challenges and, and improve it. But again, it was a situation where he just didn't want to grow the business. He didn't want to reinvest in the company. And man, if I had, <laughs> if I had watched your stuff back then, I would have just, you know, 
offered to buy out his assets and, and cause he ended up, that's what he ended up doing was when I left the business, um, cause he didn't want to grow. He just caved. And so he sold all his assets and shut the company down. Oh, goodness. And, it, and it had, it had a long, uh, uh, growth period with the previous owner and um it was just it was it was a shame because it was very simple to fix and and yet he just didn't understand what he had and really didn't want to put the work in and was just appreciative that I did it until I was done doing it for him you know he was reaping all the benefits yeah you know there there's there are people out there who actually teach about um, how you can cross pollinate ideas and, and business procedures, tactics, et cetera, from one industry to another. Like uh, most people don't know this, but drive throughs were actually created by the banking industry initially um, drive up teller windows. Uh, yeah. And then largely they got out of having drive throughs when the, crooks realized how convenient it was to pull up in the getaway vehicle to hold up. <laughs> right. And so, so the, the, then a lot of banks got rid of them, but, but when that drive up drive through concept went over to the restaurant business, it revolutionized the restaurant business. Right. And then, and right. then the banks did get them back eventually, but only once the tellers became machines. <laughs> so it's, you know, things that you learn, things that you know of from the, the, the business and industry that you're in can be very valuable concepts to introduce into, into some new business. And so what I would, uh, you know, one of the things that I teach in the Business Buyer Advantage online course is that the, I, I teach people to do an analysis of the skills that they have or, or the characteristics of the business that they want to buy and then go and take a database of business types like the yellow pages and go through the different headings and look at the different business types and, and figure out, does this business match the criteria I've listed out? Because what will happen is that you will end up at the end of this exercise with a whole bunch of uh, industries that you never thought of that fit the criteria or, or skill set that, that you bring to the table. And so right now you're thinking about maybe other businesses in the sheet metal industry, but you know, maybe what you are able to do and the skills you have could also be applied to who knows some other material like, like uh, bricks or, or roofing material or you know, who knows, right? And, and you could end up with a much more comprehensive list of different industries. And then, and then, you know, that non-compete thing that you signed would have, would really not be a problem if you left sheet metal and went into some other kind of business. That's true. True. So um, let's talk a little bit about financing um, because I mean, right now I'm not in a good place to do that. I mean, I could, you know, mortgage the house or whatever you want to say, but I don't really want to go that route. Um, what could I be doing um, to really get prepared in that aspect? I mean, obviously, if I could do 
where I, I get um, some kind of shares or whatever, that would be awesome. But additionally, I mean, outside of just setting money aside, I, I guess is, is the start, right? But yeah, the the basically, um, you want to have liquid cash to the greatest degree you can, which means savings. And I would also argue you want to have a, a strong net worth as you can, which means getting rid of debt, especially if you have any kind of credit card balances or something like that. You know, okay. we're p- talking about you working in a business and then creating a plan over several years to become the buyer. It means that you've got a horizon here for making a plan. And so you need to make sure that your savings go up every month and your and your short-term high interest debts go down every month. And and that can't be something that you that you forget about. Because what's going to happen is when the bank becomes part of this conversation and and they want to finance part of this acquisition, they they always just assume that you have good credit if you're doing a business deal. If it if it turns out you don't have good credit, then they're just not going to do the deal. The the bank will assume that the way you manage your personal finances is the way you're going to manage the finances in a business. And rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. So so it you know remember when you were in grade school and if you know the teacher would go around the class and every student would read one sentence maybe in grade 2. And if you read it without error, they gave you a little star and you went and put it on your chart. Did you ever have that? Damn, who got that? Oh. <laughs> the, gold, the gold star, right? Yeah. And so, and then you would maybe have a grid and you would fill in the whole grid with the gold stars. So right. what, what I have done myself is I will, you know, I once borrowed money for a car and uh, I think I borrowed almost 10 grand. So I created a grid that at the top was zero and at the bottom was 10 grand and every box was $100. And so what I had to do is I had to pay off the loan. So every payment that I made, monthly payment, the loan would get smaller and I would go to that chart and I would fill in the boxes trying to dig myself up to zero, right? And if I had extra money in my, you know, after I got paid, then I would put it against the loan, even if it was just a hundred dollars, because then I could go fill in another square. And I started to get joy from filling in the little squares. It actually became something I wanted to spend money on because I was getting closer to that zero where I wouldn't owe them any more money. And so people will sometimes make a chart or a goal for saving money where they'll, or like one of those big thermometers a sales department might have, right? Every time you make a sale, we fill it in because we're trying to get it up to a certain amount. So you can have one of those for your savings and you can have, you can have upside down ones that represent paying off debts. And what I did is I put it on my fridge. So every time I was in the kitchen, I would see that car loan staring back at me. So it was a goal that I wanted to pay it off as quickly as I could. And every time I went to the fridge, which multiple times a day, right? I was reminded that this was something I had decided was important. Could be a diet program too. 
Well, it could be. Yeah. You avoid the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, what it did for me is it, the constant reminder meant that I never lost sight of the fact that I, this was important. Right. Right. And that, and that's, that's one of the number one things. Cause then you, you go to, you go to the store and you're like, Oh, that thing is on sale. Do I should buy it. And then you're like, man, do I really need it? it it's two and a half squares. <laughs> You start, you start to see, oh, right. you start to see spending money in terms of how many squares you could fill in on your on your grid, and it's then it's easier to talk yourself out of spending money foolishly. That's greatness because um, my wife and I we we opted out of getting insurance, um, medical insurance, you know, because the premiums are so high. So instead, we put aside the premium in an account Mm -hmm. and pay with cash. And we literally built up enough to pay off our second mortgage and still pay cash for our medical expenses. But that was just the two of us back then. Now we're, we're two and one on the way. So these kiddos like to eat that up, but it's been a a huge difference. And um, just the, the amount of money that you can save up when you're not putting a thousand dollars a month towards, uh, I guess somebody else's medical bills. I don't, I don't know how else to say that, but yeah, it, it's, it's, um, you know, d- determining what is important for you and how you want to manage it is, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little bit scary, you know, like, what if, what if one of you got a terrible illness? I mean, what would happen in that case? Well, um, yeah, luckily most of the time you can just make payments and that, that handles that. But, um, of course we keep a reserve Mm. to make sure that we can handle the majority of things. But, you know, obviously there's, there's a certain extent that nobody can afford you know, I mean, there's friends of ours that had a, a child that had to be in uh, NICU and all of that thing, you know, and you know, then they go, go fund me, but, <laughs> <coughs> but, you know, millions of dollars worth of doctor's bills. And I don't, I don't, I don't know very many people that would even be able to touch that. So, yeah. But, so, you know, as, as, as far as your financial stuff, it's, just continuing to build your position and you know, your, your home as you're paying down the mortgage, you know, you probably don't want to go and put a a mortgage on the house to get money to buy a business. But if you end up doing, for example, like an SBA loan, they're going to want you to put that up anyway. So if you, if you are in a strong position with savings and other things and you can, you can sometimes create a financing plan that wouldn't involve those guys. You can, you can manage to maneuver something where you don't have to put up things like your house. So what if you have two homes? <laughs> what does that look like? I mean, obviously, cause we, we have our starter home and we're getting close to paying that off and looking to, uh, grow i mean obviously we got a baby on the way so that's a um, well you mean you're going to keep the starter home as an income property correct yeah i mean that looks great 
Okay. Right. I mean, that's, it's more assets. And, and if it's paid off, it's even better because then it's, it's a, a cash flow without, you know, the, the liability of having to pay that mortgage payment. Yeah. And that's the hopes. I try to build two empires at, at the same time, <laughs> have homes that, that provide and then another business as well. All right, man. All right, Eric. Well, th- is there anything else you want to cover before we wrap up here? Um, I just want to say, man, I really appreciate everything you do. Um, it's been hard pressed because I just keep saying, man, I just want to buy into everything. But at the same time, I'm so far away from some of the things that, that you talk about. I know there's a lot of other people that have, um, had, had a better advantage, you know, as far as knowledge wise and all that, but just really appreciate your YouTube channel. And, uh, and I mean, I, I really hate reading books, so I got to get into Audible and start reading your books. <laughs> it's it's amazing how many more people want to listen to them than than read them. <laughs> so you're not alone, Eric. Well, not at it's, all. It's really good, you know. I mean, we do so much stuff, and and to be able to listen to it in the car or while mm. I'm working and stuff like that it really just helps, um, you know, utilize that time better. Well, thank you for the kind words about the YouTube channel, because I think that, you know, that that's really the reason I started it. I was, I was just tired of meeting people who had done things because they, they didn't have access to information. And, you know, I, I, I want to help people avoid making mistakes and, and getting into bad deals. And, you know, it really, it just comes down to, information. Uh, information's easy. You know, the in- information spreads really easily on the internet. And so it's, you know, it's just a, a sign of our times, you know, if it wasn't me, it would probably be somebody else doing it. Um, but I, I appreciate that. And, and I get a lot of comments back from people who, who say that I've helped them out. And so it's a, it's, it's one of the things that, that helps me feel good. I try to plug you anytime. Like my brother has a business and I, I shared with him about you and some other people that I know that own businesses. <laughs> try to get you out there, man. Awesome. I appreciate it, Eric. All right, man. All right. Well, have a happy Christmas season. And uh, when uh, when is your baby arriving? Oh, that's in July. Thank goodness. <laughs> we got a little while. <laughs> wow. Well, let me give you a little bit of a heads up. <laughs> When it's hot, when it's really oh, hot yeah. out and your wife is really pregnant. Yes. <laughs> bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> She's grateful because it's not August. So it's yeah, still going to be early July too. So hopefully it's still going to be yeah. uncomfortable for her. <laughs> Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, congratulations to you both. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. All right. You too, man. Bye.